Did Jesus bring a sword to divide us? Why was a verse taken out of our Bible? And is there any significance behind Noah sending out a raven after the flood? Big time questions you want to hear about on this week's Ask. Hey everyone, welcome again to Ask. This is where you ask questions about the Bible, faith, life, you know the drill, and I answer them. So submit your questions today. Just go to cornerstonebv.org, media page, drop down, ask, fill it in, leave your name, don't, you got it. All right, let's get into it. Did I have a cup of coffee before this? No. All right, first, one of the names of Jesus is called Prince of Peace. In Matthew 10, 34, it says, do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. All right, well, he says this seems to be a contradiction. If the Prince of Peace did not come in peace, I'm sure that this can be explained by you. I'll try it. Thank you for the question, as it does address a very important misconception about Jesus. See, too many people think Jesus came to bring peace to this earth, as it is, right? <clears throat> but that's clearly not the case. We're now over 2,000 uh, years later, and our world is even more divisive than ever. So, he will bring peace to the new earth, but I'll get to that in a minute. First, let's read some of the passage you refer to in Matthew. Okay. Again, I know you already said it in the question, but I want to read it again. Verse 34, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me, Jesus said, is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Okay, so the, you can kind of see where Jesus is getting at. Pretty controversial. It definitely goes against what a lot of people say about Jesus today, right? Jesus' title of Prince of Peace means literally Prince of Shalom, a word that means rightness and wholeness. Now, every person, the Bible teaches, is at enmity with God. Whether you choose to acknowledge it or not, you are. You have this deep separation because you've sinned, so have I, and he is holy. Therefore, you and I, without Jesus, are the exact opposite of shalom or wholeness or rightness with God. But Jesus, in one of the most divisive and cruel, divisive and cruel events ever, uh, hap to ever to happen, made peace by the blood of his cross. He said, for our sin is paid in full, Right? When we put our faith in Christ, our sin is gone. Therefore, we have shalom with the Father and our relationship is repaired and we have a rightness and wholeness with God. Jesus, therefore, is the Prince of Peace in that way. See, his point in, Ma in the Matthew passage is that in this, in this broken world, uh, he, Jesus, will bring divisiveness. There will be lost pe people who hate the message of the gospel and it will cause big problems in families, communities, marriages even. Um, we see that play out all the time today. The reason it's a problem is because when you trust and follow Jesus, he is first. He is our chief focus and chief aim, and anyone or anything that seeks to be more important to us than him must be put to the side. Jesus' own brothers and sisters were at odds with him until they witnessed the resurrection and became followers. Now, this does not mean that we're called to make strife with unbelievers, right? It means that we, with love, kindness, gentleness, Follow Jesus and his truth without compromise. And that's going to mean people will hate us for that. So Jesus did come to bring us peace, shalom, but not to this world, to the Father. 
But in the end, when the end comes, all unrighteousness will be dealt with and the new heavens and new earth will be full of peace. I don't know about you, but I can't wait. All right, second question. I learned the other day that in the 1960s, in Matthew 17, verse 21, it was taken out. I never noticed that before. Why was it taken out? Well, you're right. Many of our modern translations do not have Matthew 17, 21 in the text, and you can instead see it as a footnote. This happens sometimes um, in newer modern translations because the translation committee that worked on that translation was far more careful to look at all the ancient manuscripts that we have. All right, first, let's look at the passage in question. See, the, the, the context of it is this comes after some of Jesus' disciples could not heal a boy who was demonically possessed. Um, and Jesus had to do it. So disciples asked him later, why weren't they able to do it? And this was Jesus' response. He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, most modern translations leave out that verse 21, as you said, which actually says this, if you look in your footnote, but this kind never comes out except by prayer and fasting. So why do the older translations have it in there at all? Well, they were not as thorough when looking at all of the ancient documents. Uh, and, and our oldest and most reliable Matthew documents do not have this verse. So why would an ancient scribe add it in in the first place at a later date? Most likely because Jesus does answer this way in Mark's version of the story, Mark 9.29. So the scribe was probably trying to bring symmetry with the gospel accounts to you know, answer questions. But that was not necessary as Mark and Matthew were just emphasizing different things that Jesus had said. Okay, a couple of other things before moving on. Number one, please know it isn't someone taking something from the Bible. We have English translations, that's what we read. This is where experts in the original languages, Greek and Hebrew, Greek and the New Testament, do their best to give us a faithful rendering of the Bible in English so we can understand it. So some translations are better than others because of how the committee, uh, the experts, the, the scholars went about the process. So it isn't like a person in the 1960s decided to take it out of the Bible. It is that a faithful translation committee made a different decision based on the ancient text available to them. Hopefully that makes sense. Secondly, I, I just want to point this out. This process means you really can trust the Bible. The idea that the Bible cannot be trusted, that many people say, is ludicrous. It has been poured over and over by scholars, both believers and unbelievers, and the document can be trusted as faithful more than anything else in the ancient world that we have by far, okay? All right, third, is there a lesson to be learned from the story of the raven after the flood? I love this question too. You guys are all thinking this week. So after the flood, what God did was he, he says he remembered Noah and his family in the ark. That means he's about to take action of salvation. And the waters begin to subside. Eventually the ark falls on dry land on a very high mountain, right? This is great. Right? But Noah needed to know when the land was inhabitable for life. He wasn't going to get off until then. He first sends out a raven, which flies to and fro and does not come back. Then he sends out a dove and the dove does come back. The raven can live at a much higher level of altitude than the dove can. So this tells Noah that the water is subsiding, but not enough yet. That's why the dove came back. So he waits. Then the dove does come back but with some vegetation second time. 
which is a really good sign, right? And then finally, the third time, the dove does not come back at all, and no one knows it's time to exit the ark. So what does this actually tell us? That's what the question says. Well, this is a narrative, so, well, this is how it happened, right? You just kind of told the story. However, Genesis does not have to give us these drawn-out details as to why the whole, as to how the whole incident, uh, you know, went down, included for us, right? So th this just teaches us that there's a faithful remnant of God's salvation, Noah, and he waits patiently for deliverance. And much like Noah, Christians are saved, and we have the confidence that God will complete the good work, even if we are having a hard time seeing it right now in this time and world. So we wait patiently in the timing of the Lord and we trust him just as Noah did for that year as the ark rested. Okay, so uh, that's it for this week. I hope uh, you will, especially if you don't have a church family or if you're part of our church family, certainly hope you will join us. Thursday night we have uh, uh, our Monday Thursdays. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's kind of when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And then Friday we have a great candlelight service, um, good music, opportunity to really reflect on the Lord and the cross. Um, and that's Friday night. Both of those are at seven. And then of course this weekend, Saturday at five, Sunday nine or 11, we have our Easter services. Uh, bring someone, invite someone, come if you don't have a church uh, family, definitely be here early, especially if you come Sunday morning uh, to get a seat. Probably gonna be crowded. So that's a good thing. We like to worship together and hopefully we'll see you there. In the meantime, we'll see your questions in a coming next, uh, upcoming episode of Ask. Maybe next week, who knows? God bless.